Much like the angels did as they stood before the throne of heaven. Oh God, how we sing of your holiness. How we marvel at your holiness. We thank you that we are standing on holy ground today. Fill this place with your presence, oh God. May we feel no and hear your voice this day. Speak through our pastor. Help our hearts and our minds to hear your voice. May we be open to know you even stronger this day. In the mighty name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. Good morning, Lighthouse. It's good to see you. Um, I, just before we dive in this morning, I just want to acknowledge that um, I don't know about you, but I can definitely speak for my staff when I, when I say that we have been experiencing a pressure unlike any I've experienced in the 11 years that I've been here at Lighthouse. Um, it seems like every single staff member is being attacked in one way or another. Uh, Robin was supposed to lead worship this morning. She's lost her voice completely, and she's wondering when it might come back. Um, my wife has been having trouble sleeping, and many of you have been praying for her. Thankfully, she slept the last two nights solid, and I'm so grateful 
um, Jeff with COVID hitting his kidneys and now he's on dialysis and learning that new rhythm of life. It just seems like it doesn't end. And, and part of me cannot help but go, man, this all started when we started studying Revelation, Dagnabbit. Uh, and, and, and it might be easy to say, well, that's the problem, so just stop pressing into Revelation and then we can just go ahead and stop experiencing that attack. But remember what we've already talked about. Pressure comes most often when we are following and trusting God. And as you press up against it, the pressure is the world and an enemy that stands behind the world trying to push us to conform. And when we experience pressure, it's because we're resisting that. When we don't experience pressure, that's because we're just going with the flow. And so I'm, it is both a, it's both a, like a reminder that we have an enemy and that we find ourselves in a battle. I can't help but think of Christians in Ukraine today. I have a friend who's a pastor out there, and they are not in the major city of Kiev, and so they've opened their church to refugees, and I got to see some live stream video of the, the church absolutely packed full of, of Ukrainian Christ followers worshiping their God in the midst of a battle. And when you see bombs falling from the sky, it can be really easy to remember, oh, we are in a war. But when you don't see bombs falling from the sky, when the bombs have more to do with a fear over a virus or a, a diagnosis from the doctor or children who are being more influenced by what they're watching and what their friends are doing than they are by your faith. When the bombs that are raining from the sky are more internal, it's much harder to see. But we are still in a war for our souls. We are still in a war that, de that demands us to choose a side. And guys, I want to remind you that we live in enemy-occupied territory. We live between the D-Day of Jesus' first coming and the V-Day of his second coming. And so we find ourselves living in the end times in enemy-occupied territory. And we have an enemy that wants to press us to conform to the pattern of his will as opposed to living as citizens of the kingdom of God here in America, here in Orange County, here in Costa Mesa. And it can be really easy in the midst of this pressing, to get focused on our circumstances. Really easy to put all of our emphasis on what's going on in my life and God, where are you? And early on in this series, I brought this out as an illustration. Our God is a God of props, so I'm going to use a prop today. You guys have probably played with one of these things. This thing is powerful, and you know how this works. Two lenses that help magnify things, but... The big lens, the big lens symbolizes our circumstances. The little lens symbolizes our spiritual worldview and recognizing who God is. And when our lives are in chaos, it's really easy to turn this thing around and start looking at it through the big end. Trying to find Jesus. Looking through the lens of our circumstances saying, Jesus, where are you? And if we see him, he seems really, really small. And our circumstances seem really, really big. And what the letter of Revelation does is it invites us to flip this thing around and begin to look at our circumstances through the lens of the one who sits upon the throne, through the lens of who is really in control. And when we do that, not only do we realize just how big he is, but our circumstances begin 
to diminish in their power. We begin to realize how truly small they are. And so that's what we're going to do today is we are going to go through a chapter that once again reminds us, flip the lens of your life around. Stop looking at God through your circumstances and start looking at your circumstances through Him. And we'll begin to see that things are not as dire as they seem to be. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. We have just come through a beautiful utterly relevant set of messages, seven messages to seven different churches, all of whom are experiencing that pressure to conform, all of whom are feeling the pressure of a world that says, if you'll just bend a knee to the powers that be, if you'll just bend a knee to Caesar Domitian and call him Lord, all will go well with you. And seven churches were responding in seven different ways. And so those messages were very relevant to them, but they are also utterly relevant to us in the 21st century. But we've come to the end of those messages that Jesus spoke to those seven churches. And now we get a new vision. And this is not a vision that John made up. Jesus is opening his eyes to be able to see what he cannot see. And that's what an apocalypse is. Remember, revelation is the Greek word apocalypse. And apocalypse doesn't mean destruction. Apocalypse means unveiling, to reveal what you could not otherwise see simply with your eyes. And John gets a vision. Let's go ahead and read that vision. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After this, after these seven messages that Jesus dictated to John, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice that I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow shone like an emerald and circled the throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated upon them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne in the center came flashes of lightning, rumbles, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps, although the Greek word there is torches, it's different from the lamps that symbolize the seven churches. Seven torches were blazing, and these are the seven spirits, or the sevenfold spirit of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center... Around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. In other words, nothing is hidden from them. They can see everything. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. 
I've been really excited to get to this chapter. Because this chapter invites us into a place that many of us have dreamed about. Many of us have probably thought about what, it'll, what will it be like when we get to heaven. John gets invited into heaven, into this throne room. And there's a couple of things that I want to, to point out that our English translation of this Greek text kind of glosses over that we might miss. The first thing is I'm not really thrilled with how the NIV translates a couple of words. John opens this saying, After this I looked, and there before me was a door. But that word, the, the, the word that he translates, there before me, is actually an, a, a command. It says, and look, or behold. So some of your translations might say, I looked, and behold, there was a door before me. Now, why does this matter? Because what John is doing is he's inviting us to see what he sees. He's inviting us to see with our spiritual eye what he gets a chance to see with his spiritual eye. And in fact, the verb to look, the command to look, is the number one command found all throughout the, the letter to Revelation. It is the number one command that we are given. Look! The second most popular command that is given throughout Revelation is do not be afraid. We obey the second one when we do the first one. When we actually look and see what God wants to show us, our fear diminishes. When we flip it around, I know, I just broke it, that's awesome. When we flip it around and we begin to look at our circumstances through the lens of who Jesus is, it will change the way that we see our circumstances. So look, and behold, there before me was an open door. Let's walk through the door with John and see what he sees. There was a door standing open into heaven. Now, when I say the word heaven, where, did, where do you think that is? I'll tell you that because we use language like we call the sky at night the heavens, our mind tends to think up. But this brings a whole lot of complications because it leads to some wonky theology like when the Russian cosmonaut first went into space and when he came back, he was very quick to say, I have been to the heavens and I did not see heaven so I, had, I do not believe that God exists, right? Or something like that. He probably didn't say it nearly that cool. <laughs> but there's this idea that the, the heaven... Where God exists and where we will go is up there in the sky somewhere. We just haven't seen it with the Hubble telescope just yet. But that is faulty theology. You see, we're still thinking of people who can only see with these eyes. When in reality, what Revelation is doing is inviting us to see with spiritual eyes. And the only way that John is able to see into the throne room of heaven is by have, being in the spirit and having his spiritual eyes opened. Heaven is actually much, much closer than you would ever think. Heaven's not way out there somewhere. It's, it's intimately close. It's just a different location. It's a spiritual location. I love the way that a guy named George Card, who's a New Testament scholar, explains it. Can we put the, the quote up there for a moment? He says, heaven is a part of the universe, but a part which is entered by the opening of the spiritual eye rather than any external form of transit. In other words, if you want to go to heaven, you don't get on a rocket ship and fly there. 
the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see it. And when, whenever we hear of people getting a glimpse into heaven, they didn't go anywhere. The Spirit gave them the ability to see it, whether it's Paul having a vision or John on the island of Patmos having this vision or one of the Old Testament prophets who get a glimpse of God in his throne room. So heaven is far closer, far more intimate than you ever imagined. So I looked, and behold, there before me was a door standing open into heaven, and a voice that I had first heard speak to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit. And behold, there before me was a throne, and in heaven there was someone sitting upon it, a throne. There is a throne, which means that we're not just in, the, we didn't just walk through the pearly gates and we're in kind of the, the, the outlying district of heaven. No, we have been invited into the holy of holies, the command central to all of the universe, and we know this because there is a throne in the middle of it. This is the throne room of heaven. The throne is actually the central image throughout Revelation. 47 times John sees and refers to this throne. This throne is the, the, the place from which everything we're going to read about in Revelation basically gets its direction. And when he looks, there's somebody already seated upon that throne. And guys, this is good news for us because it means that the throne is occupied. It means that it's not up for grabs. It means that every four years it doesn't change hands. Or that some oligarch can just get together his army and go and take it over. No, this throne has been occupied since the beginning of existence and it will remain occupied by the same one who sits upon the throne now till the very end of the ages. And that is good news. Thank you, Darlene. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, and someone sitting upon it. Let's, let's read a little bit about the one who is seated upon the throne. The one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. He says the appearance of because he's trying to use human language to describe something that is indescribable. It's like, how do you describe a sunset? I tried to do that when I was dating Kathy one time. I wanted to be super like romantic and so we were watching a sunset and I'm literally there describing the colors to her and she's like oh that's sweet but I can see it with my own eyes thank you very much <clears throat> but he's trying to describe something that he sees he's like jasper jasper is a like a clear kind of milky stone it is both transparent but it also you know it, it remain mystery remains you can't see clearly through it like you would a diamond and he says ruby here, but in Greek, it's actually carnelian. And carnelian is different colors based upon how the light hits it. It can be greens, it can be reds, it can be purples and blues. And because of this, because he, is, he looks like this, there's this beautiful rainbow of color, this kaleidoscope of color that emanates around him. The one who sits upon the throne is awesome in his beauty, but he's not just pretty. He's powerful. Jump down to verse 5. He says, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. What does that make you think of? Makes me think of when Moses and the Israelites were traveling through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, and they came to the foot of Mount Sinai. 
Remember the, the mountain where God chose to covenant with them and call them to be a holy nation that would represent him to the rest of the world? And when he came to that mountain to meet with Moses and the people, the mountain was covered in smoke and there was rumblings of, of thunder and peals of lightning flashing everywhere and the whole ground shook. And how did the people respond? They were terrified. So scared, in fact, that they said, Moses, you speak to us, but don't have him speak to us or we will die. Do you remember what Moses said to the people? Let's throw it up on the screen. He says, do not be afraid. Don't tremble in fear. These things are happening. The lightning and the thunder and the smoke and the rumbling. These things are happening so that the fear of God will be with you. Listen to the irony of that language. Don't be afraid. Don't be terrified of him. But this display of this awesome power is to place the fear of God, a reverential respect for who he is in your heart so that you won't sin against him. When we get a glimpse of who God really is, when we begin to recognize how awesome and powerful he is, when we begin to recognize that he is God, we begin to realize that we are not. And it begins to order the way we view life. Rather than demanding that God order himself to suit our petty whims, we begin to order our lives to say, hey, what do you want? That's what I want. What are your values? Those will be my values. What do you long to see happen in this world? That's what I want to expend myself for. So rather than saying, God, I deserve a house. God, I deserve children who listen to me every time I speak. <laughs> God, I deserve to have so much money in the bank that I can go on vacation for a couple of months and I won't even notice it. God, I deserve to not be sick. I deserve yada, 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 and you, you owe me because I put my faith in you, so pony up. That is us trying to put God into a submissive place where he becomes some cosmic vending machine. And when we see who God is for how he really is, when we see his awesome power, it causes us to totally reorient ourselves. We submit and order our lives around him rather than demanding that he order creation to suit our whims. And guys, this is called the reverential fear of God. And as we see all throughout the Psalms and the Proverbs, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. When you know who is God and you know that you are not, and you begin to order your life around him, suddenly you start living wiser than you would otherwise. Suddenly you start living differently than you would otherwise. Suddenly you start living as a citizen of the kingdom of God rather than a citizen of the kingdom of America who has freedoms, dagnabbit, and you're going to fight for them. We are free in Christ, but we are not our own. We were bought at a price, so you are not free. You belong to him. And that is a totally different posture. Sorry, I didn't mean to preach this morning. Let's keep going. Getting on a soapbox. Yeah. It, I'm telling you what, when the enemy attacks, there's a party that goes, oh, I've got to be a wilting wallflower. But when he attacks, it's like it emboldens me. So enemy, keep coming because we're going to keep coming harder. I'm just excited right now. 
So from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. He is not just a beautiful, awe-inspiring God. He is a powerful God. And he reminds us of that. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. Now, if you just read that, you might automatically think that he's talking about the seven churches. But that word lamps there is actually a different Greek word than the, the word that we were talking about that was used for the seven lamp stands that represented the churches. This is actually more like seven torches. And then John actually goes a step further and explains exactly what those seven torches represent. These are the seven spirits of God, but God doesn't have seven spirits. He doesn't have seven different spirits. Remember, in apocalyptic language, numbers are symbolic. And what does the number seven symbolize? Oh, gosh, you guys are good. Completion, that's right. So the number seven is the number of completion. So in other words, he's saying the complete whole spirit of God is present. So now we have the Father sitting on the throne and we have the Holy Spirit present in his midst. We're going to have to wait till next week to see the third part of the triune God make his glorious entrance. But we've got two parts of the Trinity already present in the throne room of heaven. Jesus is coming, but we're going to have to wait for a week. Verse 6, also, not literally, like, that would be awesome if he was coming next week. I'm in. We, imagine how you would live this week if you knew he was coming next week. Imagine, just for a moment, I know this is totally an aside, but imagine how you would live if you believed ardently that Jesus was coming next week. Got it in your mind? How you might interact with your family, how you might interact with your kids, how you might interact with your neighbors that are really bugging the the stuff out of you, how would you speak to them? How would you live? Go and do likewise. Even if he doesn't come next week, if you live that way, you will change your sphere of influence radically. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. John doesn't tell us what the sea of glass represents. A lot of theologians have a lot of guesses. Some of them say, well, you know, if the throne room of heaven is like the holy of holies and, and we're using the tabernacle, outside of the tabernacle was a big brass basin where believers would go, where the, the high priest would go and wash himself before he would enter in. It was kind of where he cleansed himself. So maybe that sea of glass represents that big br brass basin. Others have said, no, the sea of glass is almost like the Red Sea that we believers have to pass through to get to God, or it's almost like an, you know, an impediment that keeps everybody from just coming to the throne room of God, or towards the throne. But if we look at how the sea is treated throughout the rest of Revelation, it begins to inform our interpretation. So I'm not saying this is absolutely the right interpretation. I'm simply saying, if we read the rest of Revelation, it would suggest that the sea is a place that is typically representative of chaos. Out of the sea represents everything that resists conforming to God. Out of the sea, in chapter 13 of Revelation, we see the first beast emerge, the beast that is coming to try to thwart God's redemptive plan. So the sea, in apocalyptic language, and particularly in Revelation, is most often treated as the place that stands in opposition to God. But in the throne room of heaven, that sea is calm. 
Just like when Jesus spoke to the Sea of Galilee and the storms and the wind and the wave died out, in God's presence, even the chaotic sea is calmed. That encourages me because it reminds me that God even allows chaos to exist. And let's be honest, if he is a sovereign God, then he has the ability to make evil go away like that. He has the ability to make COVID go away like that. He has the ability to make cancer disappear like that. I'm having fun snapping right now. You too? What is it in your life that he could make go away like that? And yet even the chaos of our lives serves a purpose. It doesn't explain what. It doesn't say exactly how. But what it reminds me is that God's ways are not our ways. And even chaos submits to the creator and the sustainer of creation. Are we having fun yet? I had a big cup of coffee this morning. Can you tell? Obviously, the throne in the center of the Holy of Holies is the dominant image of chapter 4. And the one who sits upon it is the focal person in all of chapter 4. But there are some supporting cast members in this. And let's talk for a moment about them and who they might be. Go back to verse 4. Surrounding the throne were 24 other little thrones, and seated upon them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. 24 little thrones in the throne room of heaven. Who are they? Well, we know they're elders, and elders are representatives of people, but beyond that, we don't really know much of anything about them. But numbers matter, so let's think about the numbers. The number 24 doesn't symbolize much. It, we don't see the number 24 come up very often in Scripture. But, and my son who is learning his, his addition knows this one. 12 plus 12 equals what? And the number 12 is pretty significant in Scripture, isn't it? Because the number 12, it makes me think of the 12 tribes of Israel. It makes me think of the 12 disciples. And in fact, many theologians point to these 24 elders and suggest that these elders represent both the believers in the Old Testament, represented by the 12 tribes of Israel, and believers in the New Testament, represented by the 12 disciples. In other words, believers under the old covenant and believers in God under the new covenant are all represented because an elder represents people to God and represents God to the people. So these 24 elders, if they do in fact, as I would suggest, represent all believers in all times, or at least the Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant people, then these 24 represent you and me and believers throughout all time. They are representing us to God in the throne room of heaven, and they represent God to us. And they sit there in their white priestly garments, these white robes, and they have upon their heads golden crowns that symbolize authority, authority that God has entrusted to them. We're going to come back to them in a moment, but that would be my recommendation or my, my best guess as to who those 24 elders are. Skip down to the second half of verse 6. In the center, in between those, 12, or those 24 thrones and the throne in the center, 
were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. One commentator pointed out that the lion is the most powerful wild animal. The ox is the most powerful domesticated animal. Humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation, the one to kind of rule over and care for all of creation. And the eagle is the most powerful of the birds in the air. And so some say, well, these four creatures represent all of the created life on earth. Maybe. But I think we actually have a much better interpretation of what those four creatures represent. Because two times in Scripture, other people get a glimpse into the throne room of heaven, and both times they see four angels with six wings that array themselves around the throne of heaven. The first time is in Isaiah chapter 6. If you want to read about it, it's in verses 1 through 4. The second time we see it is in Ezekiel chapter 1. Just write that down in your notes. I encourage you to go back and read them. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and Ezekiel chapter 1. These are two other apocalyptic glimpses into the throne room of heaven. And both times, the, the people who get a glimpse into the throne room of heaven see four creatures. Now, in Ezekiel's glimpse into heaven, those four creatures each have the face of a lion, an ox, a human, and an eagle. They each have six wings, okay? In Isaiah's glimpse in there, those four living creatures, those four angels actually say almost verbatim the very same thing that these angels who are around the throne say. What do they say? Holy, holy, read this with me, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Let's do that one more time. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, in Greek language, they don't have italics. They don't have bolding. They don't have uppercase letters. So how do you emphasize something that's important? You repeat the word. And if it's of utmost importance, you repeat it three times. So what is of utmost importance? I'm so glad that that's not a rhetorical question. What is, the mo what is of utmost importance? His holiness. What the heck is that? Holiness means holy other. Totally distinct from created order, unsullied by sin. In other words, the one who sits upon the throne is not like the tyrannical, despotic kings that the, the, the people of Christ have been used to, like the Caesars. He's nothing like them, nor is he anything like the Roman pantheon of gods who were insecure and very flawed. He is wholly other. He's God. There is no one like him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that word almighty, that's not a title. That's a descriptor. 
all might. He's all powerful. He's not just wholly other from the rest of created things, being the only thing that was not created. He is all mighty, all powerful, all sovereign. There's no one with his power. Not Caesar Domitian, not the President of the United States, not Vladimir Putin. Nobody has the power that our God has. He is almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Before the world was spoken into existence, he was already seated upon that throne. And when this world is all rolled up and God comes back to restore it and bring his new Jerusalem back onto the world that has now been stripped of sin and stripped of all of the brokenness that we get to experience day after day after day, he will still be on the throne. And even now in the in-between, here when COVID is running rampant and nations are beginning to foment what could ultimately turn into World War III, And when people are scared and bodies are breaking down and people are suffering mental illness and when all of this stuff is happening and our world is falling down around us, he is still on the throne. Just as he always has been and just as he always will be. I'm 44 years old. For some of you, that seems really old. Dylan, I'm looking at you. For, most, for many of you, that seems very young. But for me, 44 years is a long time. I've, I, it's only a sliver in the grand scheme of history, but I've seen a lot of change in my lifetime. I've seen buildings rise, and I've seen them destroyed. Think of the World Trade Towers. I've seen nations established, and I've seen nations wiped off the face of the earth. We've seen wars that were, 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 were devastating and, and just dominated our thinking that have disappeared and been finished and the world still remained. I've seen world leaders that seemed like the most powerful people on the planet as people waltzed onto the pages of history and basically did whatever they wanted and then they exited stage left And they died. Names like Reagan, uh, Gorbachev, Mandela, people who have both had, or or Saddam Hussein. Like you, you, you put the name there. There are people who seemed like they were the biggest names in the world who are no longer even on our radar. I've watched as the world has changed radically through the advent of technology, through cell phones, where we can communicate with anybody in the world, and instead, what, would, what do we choose to do? Play games, scroll, doom scroll through social media, right? Comparing our life to other people's lives, thinking it, it let's be honest, it's anti-social media, not social media. Um, picking fights with people that we used to call friends and, you know, all that fun stuff. Um, I've, I've seen, I've seen horrific, Things like AIDS and Ebola, and right now it's COVID, that dominate the headlines. Even things like Y2K, we were sure the world was going to end. It didn't. We're still here. I've seen a lot of change in the 44 years that I've been alive. And yet, 
through all of that change, one thing and only one thing has remained the same. There is one who sits upon the throne, and he has never wavered. He has never changed. He has never compromised. He is our God, and he is the one whom we worship. He is holy, holy, holy. He is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever, the 24 elders representing you and me and every other child of God throughout history, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits upon the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They take those golden crowns symbolizing their authority and they lay them down at the feet of the one who truly is the authority, who is the source of their authority. And they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. In other words, you are worthy of all honor, power, and praise because you're the author and the sustainer of life. Everything that is, is because you made it. Every breath that we take, and when you have to carry your oxygen around, you begin to appreciate those breaths, don't you, Tony? Every breath you take is a gift from God. Every moment that our eyes can see something, that's a gift. Ask one of those who are beginning to lose their eyesight through macular degeneration how much they appreciate sight. Every beat of your heart is a gift from God. He's worthy of it all because this is his creation. He made it. He's the one who sits at the, at the, at the helm determining, even though it may seem at times like the world is kind of just meandering through history and there is no rhyme or reason to it, he is working behind the scenes to bring about his redemptive plan. And the crazy part is he invites you and me to join him in that. So, so you are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Now, I've covered a lot this morning. I've tried to do my best to make sense of this vision that John has of the throne room of heaven. And we might come away from this going, wow, that's really interesting. But if that is your first thought, as you walk away from this message today, then I will have done Revelation chapter 4 a massive disservice. Massive. Because it is not merely interesting, and John is not sharing this vision with us. Jesus didn't invite John into the throne room of heaven merely to gawk at the one sitting on the throne and go, oh, that's interesting. No, he has invited John, and John has invited us to join him so that we can see a worship service that has been going on since the beginning of creation. Do you realize that even now, and for as long as you've been alive, there has been a worship service going on in heaven. 
as those angels declare day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And as the elders take off their crowns and lay them down and say, you are worthy of all glory and honor and power and praise because it, you made everything and it all belongs to you. That is ongoing. And every time you and I walk into this place and the band comes up and, and starts playing on the stage, and for those of you at home, every time you start joining in with us, whether it's right now at, what is it, 1049, right now, or you're watching sometime tonight or weeks from now, no, or whether you even just begin to turn on the, the, the praise station as you're driving to work, any time you acknowledge that God is God and you are not and you begin to worship and praise him, you are not starting worship, you're simply joining in a worship service that's already been going on. And we join with believers throughout history and around this world. I, 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 I don't know if I already told you this. My buddy Joel is a pastor out in the Ukraine. And this morning, I got to watch video of men and women gathered in their church worshiping Jesus as, as they are under the imminent threat of bombardment. And where, where are they? What are they doing? They're worshiping. And we are joining with them right now. And in fact, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward because we are going to join with them. If all you get out of today is interesting tidbits of interpretation, I've done this a disservice because what Revelation 4 does is it invites us into the throne room of heaven to see the one who sits on the throne. It invites us to flip our perspective away from our circumstances to the one who sits on the throne so that we can recognize that he is God and we are not. And what that does is it invites us to drive ourselves to our knees and join with those 24 elders in declaring that he is worthy. He alone is worthy of our worship. It, it, it compels us to remove the crowns of our self-sufficiency and of our expectations of the way we think our life should be led and the way that we want the world and history to play itself out. It requires us to remove the crowns of what we've accumulated and what, and, and, and what people say about us and lay it down at his feet and say, you alone are worthy of all glory and honor and power and praise because you created everything, including me, so I'm yours. Help yourself to me. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to join with a worship service that's already underway. And we're going to worship the one who sits on the throne. I've totally just lost my voice. So I guess I'm done. If you want to, if you want to worship in your seat, you can do it. <clears throat> if you want to stand up, raise your hands, you can do it. If you want to fall to your knees like those 24 elders do, there's space up here, you can do it. If you need prayer right now because you're overwhelmed, Pastor Jeff's in the back, I'll be up here in the front, you can come get prayer. But let's join with a worship service that's already underway, worshiping the one who sits on the throne. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. All will see how great, how great is our God. Do that again. How great is our God. Sing with me how 
finished worshiping, but I recognize that for some of us in here today, it's a reminder of the one who sits on the throne of your heart because you've already given him access to it. But my guess is there might be some of you in here who have not done that. And for you, the one who sits on the throne is a little bit scary because you don't feel worthy to be in his presence. You're in good company. Neither am I and neither is anybody in here. We're not worthy. But that is what makes his grace so unbelievably amazing. That the author and the creator and the sustainer of you and me and everything in this world loves us so much that in the midst of our rebelliousness, in the midst of us trying to live any way that we want to the best of our abilities, he says, I'm not willing to live apart from you. I want relationship with you. And so he sent his son Jesus. And this is where we're going to get next week. 
little preview. He sent his son into this world to take our punishment for our rebelliousness upon himself so that we, through our faith in him, could be restored back into relationship. And we, along with believers throughout history, could enter into that throne room without fear, without that terror that the Israelites felt, could enter into his presence and begin to recognize just how great and wonderful and powerful and beautiful he is. And that we could have relationship with him just like how he created you to live. And so if you have been holding this God at arm's length because you're afraid that you might be unworthy, there's a little story called the prodigal son that reminds us that the father isn't one who holds his arms like this and judges us. He's one that holds his arms like this and says, just come home and I'll clean you up. And there's nothing magical about praying a prayer, but it is definitely a fabulous starting point to a journey of following him. And it's something like this. There's nothing magical about these words. It's simply, God, I love you and I need you. I'm imperfect. I've messed up a lot. You know. But I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. Would you come into my life and would you begin to do what I can't do? Would you clean house? Again, nothing magical about those words. Every time I've prayed that type of prayer, it's different. It's just a declaration of trust in a God who loves us so much that he sent Jesus. And it's an acceptance of the gift of grace. So I am pleading with you as one who has tasted and seen just how good that grace is, don't continue to try to hold God at arm's length. Just come home so that you can worship along with the rest of your imperfect family. Let's keep worshiping. One time. How great is our God Sing with me how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. Light of the world. Stepped out into darkness, open my eyes, let me see beauty that made this heart adore you, hope of a life with you. Sing to him.
that there's a part of that song we just sang that might be confusing to many of you because we haven't gotten that far in Revelation yet. At one point, there is a pause in this heavenly worship service. And the incense begins to rise up. And that incense is actually the prayers of God's people, of you and I. And so when we sing... Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Basically what we're saying is, let your prayers rise to our God, who is more imminently present than you could ever imagine. Heaven's not somewhere way out there. He's near. And he is sovereignly powerful. He's not an absentee landlord that just spoke the world into existence and is now watching it spin out of place. He is actively involved in the unfolding of history and in the unfolding of your part in that. And he loves you more than you could ever possibly fathom. And we're going to have to lean into that a little bit more next week as, as this worship service continues, because we're only at the halfway point. Chapter 5 is a continuation of chapter 4. And so you don't want to miss that. But I want to speak to those of you in this room that may have or at some point may choose to finally say, okay, God, you may sit on the throne of heaven, but I want to invite you to sit on the throne of my heart. I want to let you be the Lord of my life. Jesus, you died for me. I accept that gift of grace. I don't deserve it. I know I don't deserve it. If that is you, then I want to both celebrate with you, but I also want to warn you that the enemy is going to come after you. A lot of times we think, and a lot of times even some pastors will say, hey, if you accept Jesus in your heart, he'll fix everything. And in the long run, that's true. But in the short term, take it from me and take it from all of my staff. When we call ourselves followers of Christ and we actually follow him, the enemy comes after us. That's fun. Let's clap together. Just kidding. That one was rhetorical. <laughs> ADD. The enemy will come after you. I've seen it time after time after time. And so we want to know that you have said yes to Jesus so we can be praying for you, so that we can let our incense rise to the Father on your behalf. And so if you said yes to Jesus, if you accepted that gift, if you prayed that prayer or you are going to do it, would you please let us know? There's connection cards in the seat back in front of you. And if you're at home, all you need to do is email pastor at lighthousecommunity.com and let us know. Let us know you made that decision so we can start praying for you and also so we can reach out to you to support you. Because I can assure you, the enemy is going to come after you. Furthermore, if you have prayer requests, you can write them down here and let us know, or you can email them at pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. If you want to take a next step, like getting into a life group and doing life with some other people who are pursuing God, because we were made to do life in community, you can put it on that connection card. 
And then for those of you in here, you can just drop these connection cards in the, in the white boxes in the back. That's where those who call Lighthouse home will put their tithes and offerings. If you are visiting today, this is your first time, please don't feel obligated to give anything, but we would love to know that you are here. This is, the, this is what we have basically been invited into today. This is what chapter 4 does. It takes our perception of our reality and it reminds us, you can look at the world and you can try to see God through your circumstances. But when we flip this thing around and we begin to look at our circumstances through God, everything changes. This week, as you go out of here, as you enter back into your regular rhythm, as you interact with your family, as you go back to work, as you enter back into your home and interact with your neighbors, remember, God is on the throne. He is sovereign. He's working all things together for the good of those who love him and keep his commands. And he loves us enough to not just rescue us from our sins, but to invite us to be agents of that hope that we have found in him. You get to go and be representatives of the living God into your spheres of influence. So now go and be the church. Have a wonderful week, Lighthouse.